as we open up the word, because we're going to be looking at the fall of man today. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. Help us to see what we fell from and how easy that fall was. And we ask you to guide and lead and your spirit to guide. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 1, is where we're going to be at. And we want to look at what God had told man before Eve was created. In Genesis, he says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And I'm laying this out on purpose because we're going to see that that is not what Eve says when she's talking to the serpent. So, starting in verse 1 in chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of any of the tree, eat the fruit of any tree in the garden, but the tree, the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tr tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to, this, to the eyes, and that the tr a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and also gave to her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them were both opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. The worst moment of all of history was this moment when sin entered the world. Adam and Eve created perfect. We can't even fathom what that means because when it says that they were naked in the first one, it says that they were without shame, without embarrassment, without even cognizance of what they were, where they were at. And they come to the garden and we see here, first off, that the serpent meets with Eve and talks with her. And it's obvious when we get to verse, seven, uh, verse 6 that she's near the tree in the first place. Now, when we look at this, it's very important for us that when we are trying to struggle with a sin, that we stay as far away from that sin as we possibly can. Too many people, and I hear it so often, well, can I do such and such and not be in sin? Can I go here and not be sinning? Can I? And my answer usually is the very idea that you're asking me whether you can or not means you're already struggling with me with it. Stay away. We have, according to the New Testament, liberty to do anything. But if you have any question in your mind whether it's right or wrong, it's wrong. <laughs> okay? If you can't do it without any conviction, and that doesn't mean ignoring the conviction. It means doing it without any conviction that it's wrong. Don't do it. And stay away from it. If somebody has a problem with drinking, the last place they need to be is in the bar witnessing to people. They go with good intentions. And they may even do well for weeks, months, years. But one day they'll end up falling because they're at the wrong place at the wrong time. So we want to be careful. Adam and Eve are standing by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why are they standing there? They're asking for trouble. 
They only had one rule. One rule for them, and that was don't eat of that one tree in all the garden. And yet we find them right there at that tree. Why? Probably thinking something, I wonder why God said we couldn't eat of that tree. It looks really good. It looks like all the other trees. It looks like it's great. I wonder why he can, and they walked away. Come back the next day, wonder why we can't eat of this tree. You know, and we see they're there, and Satan comes along to talk to Eve. It says he was the serpent. Now, whether we're talking about a literal serpent at this point in time, Satan showing up as a serpent, or of some form of beast that they called a serpent, because if you read the old, old stories, all kinds of, the dragons are always called serpents. <laughs> so it's quite possible there was something of that nature. But the most interesting thing is that Eve has no trouble talking to the servant. serpent. Now, I don't know if they could talk to all the animals back then, or if it was just this particular animal. But, you know, it strikes me that there's two times when animals talk in the Bible. And both times that people have no problem talking to the animal. One is Eve. And I'll give some, I'll give some granted, you know, maybe God gave them the skill to talk to animals. I, I can't prove that, you know, that, that may be. But the other one was Balaam. Balaam's beating his donkey, and his donkey talks to him. And he holds a conversation with his donkey like it happens every day. And he's not doing what most people who love their animals saying, oh, my, my, my animal was just begging me. I could tell. This animal talked to him because he goes, what have I done to deserve this beating? Am I not a good donkey? <laughs> All right, that's more than him just looking at Balaam with pleading eyes. You know, I don't deserve this. This was an actual conversation he has. And, he does, and the Bible doesn't even record him even being phased by that. He just says, you have been dis disobedient. And starts beating him more. <laughs> You know, but here we see Eve talking to the serpent. And like I said, I'm, granted, I'm willing to give that God allowed them to talk to the animals. They were created to rule. So I, would, I don't have a doubt that they might have been able to talk to him, so this was not as big a deal to me. But even if it wasn't, I'm kind of strange that she's talking to him. <laughs> He's talk and his first question was a very simple one. Has God said that you shall not eat of every tree? A very innocent statement. He's getting her talking to him. There's nothing wrong with this statement. It's a very valid question. Can you eat of all the trees? You know, how does Satan tempt us even today? He usually starts with a very simple statement that is not really a lie or anything. It's just to get us thinking. Just thinking. And our world pounds us with all kinds of garbage for our thinking and lays the foundation for him to be able to test us and tempt us. And we put ourselves in situations about, about two years ago, if you remember in the news, that uh, Vice President Pence got in trouble because he said he would not eat with a woman that was not his wife alone. And everybody thought that was a hilarious statement because, you, you know, how could you do that? How could you be so old-fashioned that you would not do that? Mostly because the Bible says not to. <laughs> the Bible says don't be tempted. Don't put yourself into temptation. And he holds to biblical standards. But biblical standards to today's world sounds like a joke. And they make fun of us if we hold up biblical standards. And we want to keep in mind, we are to hold biblical standards. Do not be playing around the edges of sin. Adam and Eve, playing around with the edges of sin. And the woman says, you know, we may eat of all the trees in the garden, but the tree in the midst of the garden, we shall not eat, nor shall we touch it, lest we die. 
There are two major problems with her statement, three-part statement there. First, she says, we can, we're not to eat of that tree. That was what God says. Then she says, we're not to touch it. Nowhere did God say they couldn't touch it. Now, if you're not there around it being tempted in the first place, you're not going to touch it. But God had never said, don't touch it. And then she said something very interesting that not everybody catches. Lest we die. That leaves room that we may not die, and that is not what God said. In the day that you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die, is what God said. Eve had softened it. She added to it, and she softened the consequences. How many times do we do that with God? We add to what he says, and then we soften the consequences of what he says, thinking we're going to be okay. We witness to people, and we share the gospel with people, and we talk to people about, about his word, and we'll hear things that are really silly, like, well, you know, uh, I just want to have my fun with sin, and then when I get older, I'll come to God. Well, I don't know. Maybe they've got a contract with God that they're going to live to a certain age, but I don't have one. And I don't know anybody else that has a contract with God saying you're going to live to a certain age. So it is foolish just to put off turning to God so that you can have quote-unquote, fun in the world. And those of us who have spent time having fun in the world know there's nothing fun in the world in the long run. We get and we look back and we go, why did I ever do those things and get on to all the trouble and consequences that come because of it and people want to put off so they can have fun in the world and suffer the consequences that are going to come because of those having fun times. We had one, one, of the, one of our members here said yesterday they had a great time yesterday just passing out the bags. And I go, yeah, and the good thing is you get to remember what you did. You know, how many times when you, before you knew God, you had a fun time one night and was everybody else telling you how much fun you had? And you didn't remember how much fun you had, and you're kind of embarrassed by how much fun you had. <laughs> you know, uh, as you had fun with the world. Adam and Eve, one temptation in their life, and they're going to give in. Satan says, God is a liar. All the time, he tells us, God is a liar. He is the father of lies. Every word he speaks is a lie. He may mix enough truth in it to make it sound palatable, but he is a liar. He says, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What was Satan's downfall? If you read Isaiah chapter 14, he says, I will be like God. I will sit on the throne next to God. I will exalt my seat next to God. He goes, I want to be like God. What was his temptation to Eve? You can be like God. You know, he didn't tell her, I got cast out of heaven and I don't go up there. I don't have my, my important position anymore. And I've been cast down. He's talking to the king and queen of this world that's been given dominion of the world and says, you can be like God. They already are like God. They are the rulers of this world. And he says, you get to be like him if you just eat this fruit. Be disobedient and be like God. And they are already there. They were created to be the rulers of this world. And they fell to sin. How many times does Satan do that for us? You know, I have this sin for you. Just do this, and you'll be, you'll be better off than you, than you are now. 
And what does it mean? He takes us down from the elevation that God gives us and pulls us down. Sin pulls us down. It never exalts us, especially in the long run. You may feel exalted for a short period of time. You may get all the power. You may have all the money. You may have all the influence in the world, but it's still not going to make you happy. It's not going to make you uh, satisfied because it's never enough. Millionaires are asked, how much money do you need? Just more. Just more. Got to be the wealthiest person. And once I get there, I've got to keep making money because somebody's going to overtake me at some point, so I've got to keep making more. How much fame do you need? A little bit more. People, somebody else had a better show, a better, better movie, a better, better stage action, a better song. I've got to do another one to, to get back my fame. It's never enough. How do we know? Well, all you got to do is read the newspaper. How many millionaires, uh, actors, actresses, sports stars get wrapped up in drug abuse, alcoholism, commit suicide, and they have everything we think that would make people happy, and, and they have everything they thought would make them happy, and they're not happy, and they don't turn to God and get into trouble. Without God, we cannot be happy. We cannot be filled and satiated with our needs without God. Satan says, you can be like God. You can have everything. They already have everything. <laughs> they literally had everything. We're going to look at them next week where God actually met with them every night to talk to them. And they ruled everything on the world. And God talked to them in person every night. And Satan says, I've got something better for you. I've got something better for you. All you've got to do is eat of that tree and you're going to do better than you are doing now. We need to be careful because Satan still uses that same argument. We're happy. We're fulfilled with God. We're in his word. We're in a church. We're having a good time with God. And Satan comes along. I've got something that will be good, better for you than what you've got. And too often we foolishly partake of his offer. Sad. And yet we do. We have an excuse. We have a sin nature. They had no excuse. They did not have a sin nature. And Satan is telling them, you will not die. And it's kind of an interesting comment because he's saying, you will not die. God is lying to you. The world always wants to tell us God has lied to you. When you deal with the intelligency of people that go, well, you know, look at this. This, is, this isn't quite a right statement. There's contradictions. And I hope I've, I'll have understood by now. Anytime somebody tells you there's a contradiction in the Bible, ask them to show it to you. Why are they telling you there's a contradiction in the Bible? Because they, are, they have learned that most Christians don't know enough about God's word to say there aren't any. When you ask them to show you, you'll get an answer. This is the answer you'll get. There are lots of them. I just don't know where they are. I go, there aren't any. You go find one and we'll discuss anything that you find. Last week I told you there was a contradiction that they'll point out right here. God seems to give two different de descriptions of the creation. That's not really a big deal. As I said, we would say, I went to Kingman. All right, great, I went to Kingman. I tell another person, I went to Walmart and, and Walgreens and Smith's. Now, here we know that that means they went to Kingman. Okay, they just gave more detail. Chapter 2 in Genesis gives more detail about creation. It's not a new other creation story. So we look at this as we go on. He says, God has lied to you. That is Satan's argument even today. 
God is lying to you. He doesn't want you to have fun. Now, when we as adults hear that, we kind of laugh because that's what we tell our kids or what we hear from our kids. You just don't want me to have any fun. We do the same thing to God. God, you know, I don't understand why you won't let me do some things, you know, and have a little bit of fun. And God says, because I know the consequences. Same thing we'll tell our kids. I don't want you to go through what I had to go through. I don't want you to be hurt. God says, I don't want you to be hurt. In his case, he's never gone through it. He just knows that it will hurt us. And he says, I don't want you hurt. And we, in our stubbornness, so often go out and do what we want. Adam and Eve are going to do what they want. And the consequences are severe. They fall from innocence. They fall from perfection. But what's even worse is every one of their children inherit sin nature because of their sin. That's a heavy consequence they paid. It's no different for us, though, when we sin. We like to think the only one we're hurting is ourselves in most cases. But every one of us has some story in our life where we have been hurt by somebody's sins or that we have hurt our family because of our sins, or both. There are always consequences for sin. Adam and Eve's consequence is severe. The entire world, all of humanity, suffers because of their sin. And they reach out, and it's so horrible at this moment in verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she looked on it and said, boy, that fruit looks beautiful. I don't know what kind of fruit it was. Uh, We don't know. We don't know if it was a special fruit. We don't know if it was just a tree that God says this is forbidden. And by just acting out and being in disobedience, they learned learned what evil was. Uh, I've heard pastors talk about it. It must have been a nice, shiny, bright fruit. I think it was just one that was very beautiful. Probably just an everyday fruit, but looked very beautiful because it was something they weren't allowed to have. And whatever we're not allowed to have always looks more beautiful than what we can have. You know, and I don't know about you, but I know in my life when somebody says you cannot do something, all of a sudden it jumps up and looks like it's very, it, and you go, well, why can't I? I won't even tell you all the places I'd be on military bases when I was growing up that I wasn't supposed to be at just because they said you couldn't be there. Now, if I'd have gotten caught, my dad would have been in trouble. But, I, you know, they, you can't go over that gate to the other side. I go, wonder what's on the other side of the gate. <laughs> you know, the other side of the fence. But, you know, it is true. Whenever we're told we cannot do something, the desire for that increases. And Satan goes, it, you're not going to die. She looks at it, sees that it's good. She sees that it's going to give wisdom according to the serpent. She was already wise. God was teaching them every night. How would you like for your personal teacher every night to be able to sit with God personally and just walk with him in the garden and be taught with him? We have the Holy Spirit, but I'm talking about literally walking with God every night to be taught. And they turned that down because this piece of fruit was going to give them wisdom. Would God have taught them eventually good and evil? Probably. But they weren't willing to wait. They wanted it now. And she took and touched it. Now you've got to understand, she believes that the moment she touches that fruit, she might die, and she doesn't die when she just touches it. Now why did she believe that it was 
that she might die on touching it? I personally don't believe that it was Eve that came up with that idea. Because Adam was the one that was told the rule from God. Eve came along later, and I'm pretty sure he told her, Eve, we can't eat of that fruit, and by the way, don't even touch it. Or we're going to die. I believe it was Adam who told her not to touch it. I could be wrong, and I can't prove it, but I've always believed that he's the one that told her not to touch it. Okay, so she's up there, and she touches it. She doesn't die. But she already believes that it may or may not happen because she said, we can't eat it nor touch it lest we die, not that we will die. So she already has a doubt in her mind before Satan is even talking to her about the veracity of God or the truth of God. This is something that's critical for us. Do we fully trust God and his word? The way we live, the answer is no. Every one of us, even as Christians, the answer is pretty much no. You know, there, one of the things in the Truth Project, he said, you know, we all know that God is omnipresent and sees all things. But how many people will say something like, well, I wouldn't do this if my mom was around. You wouldn't do it if your mom was around, but you'll do it when God's right there with you? Seeing everything? I wouldn't do this if my children were around. I wouldn't do this if, you know, if other church members were around. I'd never do this because I wouldn't want them to think that I'm a bad person. We, if you're saying something like that, you do not believe in the omnipresence of God. Truly believe. This is important for us to get into our mind. Do we believe God's word completely? Or are we hedging our bets somewhere along the lines? Unfortunately, we all, in some area of the word, will hedge our bet. Which is why God always gives us tests. Because his purpose of his test is to say, do you believe what you just said you believe? And when we fall, we're just proving that we don't believe what we said we believed. When we pass through it, we're saying, God, I believe. I believe. When I go through trials, it doesn't make it completely easy to go through trials, but I truly and 100% believe Romans 8.28. For all things work together for, for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. I truly believe it. I may ask God, I say, God, I don't understand how this can be good, but I believe that it's going to be good, and, and that gets me through my trials. And we need to keep this in mind. What do we believe about the word of God? And God is going to test you. And the amount of the test will be, how much do you believe? Because believe me, I believe it's so strong, and God has put some hard tests on me to say, do you still believe even though you're going through this test? I haven't had to go through a Job test yet, lose my entire family and everything that I own. But you know, if that happens, then I'll have to say, God, I don't understand how this could be good, but I'm going to hold on to you. That'll be a hard one to do. What is, what is it that God is putting you in and saying, are you going to trust me and my word? Eve reaches out, eats the fruit. And I don't know how many of you have ever noticed the next part of that verse, and she gave to her husband who was with her. Adam was right there while the serpent talked to his wife and talked her into eating that fruit. Yeah. I don't know how much he knew about the husband being ahead of the house and all of this, but he did not protect his wife from that serpent. You know, he had every right as, as king of the world to chop that serpent's head off and yet did not do it 
did not stop the serpent, and they fell. They fell from innocency, and when they ate the fruit, it said they saw that they were naked. In Hebrew, this word for naked is different from the first word. The first one was that they had no embarrassment. They didn't even notice it. This other one is that they had lost innocence and were exposed. When we sin, we lose innocency. We feel exposed. And what happens when we feel exposed? Most of us turn away from God, at least for a while. Why? Because when we're in God's presence, we feel convicted. Then we start staying away from church because when we're with God's people, <laughs> we feel convicted. And then we stop answering the phone from anybody who might make us feel convicted because they're Christians and they might make us feel convicted just by talking to us and they're not even talking to us about our sin. But because we know that they're representative of God, we don't want to talk to them. And then we find ourselves walking in sin, away from church, away from God's people. We need, when we fail, to draw close to God. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. He wants us to f confess our sins, and then we go to the body and draw close to them and get encouragement and be built up. Now, will everybody in the church encourage and build you up? No, but don't forget them. Go find the ones in the church that are going to be godly and love you and show forgiveness. Because Satan has got a lot of people in the church that are not going to not going to love you and make you feel forgiveness. They're going to try to condemn you. Don't worry about them. If they're gods, God will deal with them and get them to where they love and love and love you and give you encouragement. Go to the ones that are going to love you and encourage you. There are plenty of them that are following God, and they're not out there to condemn everybody. God's grace is important for us. God's mercy is so important for us. He doesn't give us everything we deserve, thankfully. Because if he gave us everything we deserve, the first time we sinned, we'd be in hell. We would never get past two years old. Probably wouldn't even get past one year old. You know, but God is so merciful, he lets us get old enough to make a decision for or against him in most cases. And even then, he shows us mercy. And then he gives us grace. He gives us all the righteousness of Christ. He gives us all the blessings of his kingdom. We need to keep this in mind that God is merciful. He is loving. Jesus came to this world to die for our sins. This activity that happened right here in these first seven verses did not surprise God. He had already known that this was going to happen. The Bible has all verses that tell us that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before God created the world, before he created man, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit says, okay, we're going to create a world, we're going to create man, and they're going to send Jesus, will you die for them? And he said yes. The moment he said yes, God considered him sacrificed. Even though it wasn't going to happen for another 4,000 years, as soon as he said yes, he says, your God, your word is your bond, you're going to die for these people so that they could spend eternity with us. What a powerful thing. The, the sin of Adam and Eve did not surprise God. Our sin does not surprise God. The things that happen to us does not surprise God. I've said this many times. You will never, something you will never hear God say is, I didn't know that was going to happen. 
He's never going to say that. He is not, we will be surprised. <laughs> but he is not surprised. He already knew it was going to happen. He's already got a plan in taking care of it. And it doesn't surprise him. Does that mean we should just go out and sin as much as we want? No. But it, when we do, it doesn't surprise God. The consequences of the sin doesn't, con- doesn't surprise God. He already knew what they were, and he's got a plan on how he can make it for good. That doesn't mean we're going to be happy with the, for the good. Some of the good is just so, we can, so others can see how God steps in and helps us through it. Paul said that God, God sent a messenger of, from Satan unto him in the form of a thorn in the flesh. He never tells us what it is, but it was bad enough that he kept asking God three times, take this away. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes it's to drive us to God, and that is, that is the ultimate good. Sometimes it's so that others can see us keep serving God in spite of all of this, which is good for them. may not be good for me, but, you know, God never said it was for my good. You know, most of us read, it, read an extra word in that verse, all things work together for my good, is what we normally try to read into that verse. God never says it's for my good. He just says it is for good. My pain is not necessarily for my good, but it might be for somebody else's good to watch me serve God while I'm in pain. It might be good for my kids to see me serve God while everything seems to be going against me so that they know that God is still faithful in spite of pain. We don't know what the good is going to be in all of these things. Our job is just to trust God that he has a plan to make it for good. Adam and Eve are going to fall. God already knew that they were going to fall. He knew what the consequences was that all of humanity was going to fall with them. And he had a plan in place that we could be redeemed by Jesus Christ's sacrifice. And that is why Jesus came 4,000 years after this event to die on a cross to forgive us our sins so that we could be redeemed. Very powerful. Why did Jesus have to die? Because of this event. And it was already planned before this event happened. We have to understand, Jesus came to this world for only one reason, that is to die for sins. If he had any other way for us to pay for our sins, he wouldn't have come to this world to die for sins. We can't be good enough to earn heaven. We can't be bad enough to not, not go to heaven. And we hear both sides. We have people who are trying to be, I just got to do more good than bad so I can go to heaven. Wrong. Without Jesus, you're going to hell no matter how good you are. One sin sends you to hell. Even if you're the best person, if there was anybody in this world that only had one sin in their life, they still would go to hell without Jesus. And then I hear people all the time, well, I can't accept God. God would never want me. I'm just so bad. There is nobody who is so bad that Jesus' blood cannot forgive them. It's so important that we fully understand this. Everything about heaven is because of Jesus. And we're going to end here because we're getting ready for communion. But, you know, we're going to pray and just be lifting up. If anybody doesn't know Jesus in this room or on the Internet, because we have a large Internet presence, today is the day to accept him. If you don't know Jesus today, how do we do that? We just pray, Lord, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. I believe Jesus died for my sins. Come into my life and make me a new creation. Make me one of your children. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. If anybody says that, we just want them to contact us.
contact the church and let us know.